Welcome to Season 2 of the Week Pastor Podcast, where we view Christianity through the lens of vulnerability. Welcome to the Week Pastor Podcast. We are so delighted that you have joined us today, and it is so warm here right now. We are in literally the middle of November or so, and I am in shorts and a t-shirt. We're hitting like 76 degrees. It is really humid. I'm loving this weather. However, global warming is really happening. Do you think because um, like winter is coming later, winter will end later? Mm, maybe, maybe. But I don't know I why do, I'm asking you that as if you would know. But, but I do. <laughs> I know, right? Seriously. Oh, it's but, a meteorologist. But, but I do believe uh, our, our kids, well, your kids are little. My, my grandkids are in big trouble. They're in big trouble. You, because of global warming? Yeah, because of global warming. The ice caps are just melting at an alarming rate, and my grandkids are going to be in big trouble. Uh, I'll be okay in my lifetime, but we got to figure out something. Maybe we should have an episode on going green or figuring out better ways and helping the environment so that we all don't, so our grandkids don't die. But anyway. You know anyways, what's funny is I came from New Jersey, which was a like little bit, today. well, New Jersey was a little bit more green. I don't, I wouldn't say it was like completely green. Although yeah. this past time when I visited, I did notice that they don't give you plastic bags anymore and you have to pay mm. for your own reusable bag. But Ohio is still in the dark ages when it comes to going green. Of course. And so pickup trucks. Not only that, but there's like styrofoam galore, oh my gosh. Um, plastic galore. They, they like everyone still gives at. plastic bags. And it was such a yeah. culture shock for me when I came here Yep. Um, because it's so state. De- yeah. like, state independ- like state dependent. So like if you go to Hawaii, like if they've been doing this for years and years and years where they don't give you plastic, yep. you know, yep. but um, we're so behind. Anyway. Well, it, it is, uh, yeah, it's a reality, but I, I will take 78 degrees. It is beautiful. All my windows are open. I feel like it's summertime. But uh, Sua, you know, I did ask uh, a couple episode ago, episodes ago, you asked me what animal I was, and I said I was a lion. I, I just, I, I told idea John that, that. I was like, I asked Pastor Peter, and he said lion. He's like, wow, that's that's a real. <laughs> He's like, clearly he the man needs of to work on his humidity. <laughs> so I asked, I asked my wife and my son. What animal? Because the question was a couple episodes ago, Sue said, if you could be, if what animal would best describe you? And I thought, well, like a lion, I am a bit alpha-ish. I like to be in a pride. You know, I'm happy to, I like to protect and all that kind of stuff, right? So I asked my wife and my son separately, oh God, and I asked Jenny first, and I said, what animal would I be? <laughs> she said I'd be an elephant. <laughs> Wait, why an elephant? So here's her logic. She said, Are those, isn't elephants that have the smallest brain? Oh, animals, yeah. Don't aren't they like really like dumb no. animals? No, dumb animals. I don't Google this. I don't think elephants sure are dumb. Are. I think they are. I think they got the tiniest little brain. They're the biggest, one of the biggest mammals, but tiniest little brain. Well, maybe compared to their body. But, so no, it says elephants are very intelligent. Really? All right. Well, let's exceptionally see. Oh. smart creatures. They have the largest brain of any land animal and three times as many right? neurons as humans. Jeez. Okay. Well, well, that's not the reason why she picked elephant. You know why she said I'd be an elephant? She said, because like I, I could step on poop and I wouldn't even know. Like <laughs> elephants step on their own poop. Oh, they step God. on poop all the time in the so wild. Of course They don't even know. I'm like, really? That's why you need to be an elephant? Because you feel like, because she's like, elephants are kind of klutzy. They break things. They break trees over. <laughs> they crash into things. Like, that's you. You crash into things. You break things. You can step on your own poop and you won't even know. Like, dog poop, you won't even know. I'm like, wow, thanks a lot. And so, Strangest I, I, logic I've ever heard. That is the craziest logic. I'm like, really? She goes, you're such a klutz. You everything you touch, you break. Poop. Right? She goes, everything you touch, you break. So I asked my son that oh my he God. said the same thing. He said elephant. Wait, really? And they didn't talk to each other? No. He said What the was same his thing. reasoning? He said you're just so big and you break things so easily and all that stuff. And I'm like, what? I was like, anyway. So I'm like, but elephants, when they walk, you can't hear them. And when I walk, anyone, everyone could hear me. Like, Wait, I'm so, loud. Okay, so basically it was more about like the physical the phys- part I think where it was the you physical just run part into things just, all the time. I do have a tendency like to like destroy furniture and different things like that. Like the chair that I'm sitting on right now um, has has um, has nails in it, has screws in it because I broke it. I broke yeah, so it. I think I think that um, you probably you know how like you have an unnatural love for Costco. I love Costco. Like, I, I really think it's because hours. it's the only store that is sized for you. 
<laughs> because imagine you walking into one of those little bodegas in New York City. I don't like, like you bodegas. would destroy those no. aisles. Yeah, I can't. Like handle. all of the bread would become well, like falling I'll, down I'll with honest. your arms. I'll be honest flailing. with you. I have an H Mart one block from my house, and it's too small. The aisles are too small. See? I don't like being in that H Mart. It just it feels very claustrophobic. So, yeah, maybe maybe they're onto something. But I it's was like, actually a little disappointed by their answer, and both of them said elephant, and I couldn't believe they said you'd be an elephant. So I mean, it's it's a far, like far far away answer from lion, <laughs> especially their reasoning. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. Jeez, man. At least I, I said silverback gorilla, which is a much oh, more powerful. Silverback. Okay. Animal. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So anyway, I did my homework. That's what they said. But I know you have a question for us today. You said it might be serious, huh? Well, it's not serious, but oh, okay. um, you might have to think about it for a little bit. All right. Well, go so for it. What is it? my question is, what is the best advice that you've ever received? Hmm. It's a good one. One of the best advice that I've ever received, um, I've received a lot because I've I, I've been very fortunate to have quite a bit of mentors in my life, mm. and I have really wise mentors, like just people who are just great leaders. Some people would probably say, like, "Wow, Peter, like I wish, you know, I could I could have people like that in my life." Mm -hmm. So I think I've just been really fortunate. Uh, but I think one of the best advice that I got, uh, especially before I started the church, a um, couple things and. It comes from a man by the name of Dave Gibbons because he was, I was interning at his church and he said a couple of things. The first thing he said to me that I thought was really helpful, he said, Peter, not everyone thinks like you. Hmm. You have to be okay that not everyone's going to think like you because the problem so much sometimes when you're a leader is that you want everyone to think like you. And if they don't think like you, you automatically have a natural tendency to to disregard them or potentially just kind of like, you know, look down on them. And he said, it's okay. It's okay uh, to know that not everyone thinks like you. And I think that's going to be relevant for our topic today that we're going to talk about. Right. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. He said to me, he said, when you start a church, when you plan a church, God is going to break you. Like he's just going to, you just have to be ready. You're going to be broken. And I said to him, I said, why though? Why does God want to break you when you plant a church? And he said, it's absolutely necessary because God, he has to break you so that he can purify you. That's one of the ways in how he sanctifies us through breaking us. And I didn't really know what he meant until I planted the church. And then I connected with him about probably 18 months to two years later. And I said, oh my goodness, this is crazy. Like, Dave, like you're absolutely correct. God has really broken me, and I believe the reason why he broke me is because he wanted to purify me, get into that place where I can be more, I don't want to say holy, but just in a right place so that I can plant this church in a way where it's not necessarily for me, but it is for God. And uh, and so I thought that was one of the real best, uh, real good advice that I got. So anyway, and then I still would say the latest one that I got was from my mentor, Pete Scazzaro. And he said to me this, he said, you know, Peter, like you really need to grow in self-denial. Like self-denial is mm -hmm. one of the greatest spiritual formational exercises that any Christian can go through. And when you go through hard times, rather than you thinking people are coming against you, you got to see it as an opportunity where you can grow in this thing that Jesus says you need to deny yourself. If you want to pick up the cross my cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, or your cross, you got to deny yourself. And it's not easy to deny yourself. And so that's important. And he said this one line, he said, Peter, do you preach about serve? Do you ever preach about being a servant? And I said, yeah, of course I preach about being a servant. He said, do you believe that as Christians we're called to be a servant? And I said, yes, absolutely. I believe that. And he said, well, how will you ever know that you're a servant if you don't ever let people treat you like one? Oh and my gosh. I thought, wow. Oh my gosh. That is so uh, that was deep. Wow. Wow. That was deep. Yeah. Yes. He said, it's so interesting that Christians talk about I want to be a servant, but the reality is we always see servant in a place of privilege as opposed to what that real that word really means in the Greek, which means slave. Mm. And he said, You're never gonna really know that you're God's servant unless you let people treat you like one. And so those have been like really helpful because I've, I've always gone to him when I've been really struggling with things in ministry. And he has just a, a unique way of, of sharing some things with me. Sometimes it actually gets me a little upset. I'm going to be honest. I'm like, I'm not like, oh, wow, this is so great. Oh, hallelujah. Mm -hmm. I'm just mm -hmm. like, 
that's kind of offensive. Yeah. And then when I start to process it and I think about it, I'm like, wow, the guy knows what he's talking about. And so I'm just so grateful. So that's probably the, the, the most recent uh, sort of nugget of wisdom that he gave me, one of the best advice he gave me. So that's me. How about you, Sua? I mean, I was thinking about it. I mean, yes, I have had a lot of people give me great advice, but I think that, um, you know, this is interesting. I don't think I've ever actually had a mentor. I really? only thought about this because you said you've had such great, like, and you have an yeah. all-star lineup. I do have an all-star mentors. Lineup. You really do. But I had, I mean, other than a mentor that I had in high school, I've never actually had, I've had supervisors who kind of guided yeah. me in terms of like my job. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had like a life mentor. Yeah. So that was just interesting, something interesting that I was thinking about. But I think um, probably the one that I would say was the most defining one for me um, in the sense that it guided my entire life decision was, and I've shared this before, it was when my mom told me to not marry somebody if I can't live with the way that person is for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I think that was very mind blowing for me because yep. I never, I think that I would have looked at things a lot more at that time when I was dating, I really felt like I had the power to change mm. the person I was dating. Yep. And I yep. think I don't want to stereotype, but I think a lot of women, particularly in my own experience, feel that way, that when you get married, you feel like, well, if you love me, you would change in this way. And if you love me, you mm -hmm. would do this. And uh, we marry into our, like with our spouses, expecting that they will change into the man right, that we right, want right. them to become. Yep. But the advice that my mom gave me, and obviously it came from her own years of trying to do that in a futile yeah. way. She said to me, if, there's, if this is something that you think is a non-negotiable, it, he's never going to change. So you yeah. just need to know that before you get yeah. married. And I think that kind of gave me a big um, wake up call in terms of looking at marriage and what is a realistic way of looking at it. Um, yes, I did end up marrying John, but I entered into the relationship and marriage without the expectation that he was going to change for me. Right. And I think that was a big, um, yes. it would have been really hard for me to be in a marriage if I constantly was pressuring him to change and feeling like his inability or, or non-desire to change was a reflection of his his like lack of love for me, which I think mm -hmm. maybe was how I was operating before. Yeah. So I would say that was a good one. The other one is, this is not personal advice I was given, but this is just advice I gleaned from my boyfriend, Tim Keller, sermon one time. And this was before I was a parent. And I've thought okay. about it a lot since I've become a parent, but it was embedded in my brain as many things that Tim Keller says are embedded <laughs> in my brain somewhere. Um, but <laughs> I remember he said- <laughs> And not in your yeah. heart. All right. He said that um, the way God disciplines us is the one of the ways it's a perfect discipline is that it's the minimum force required to bring about the action that he wants. Hmm. So it's it's a very minimal. It's not, and I think that I thought I think about that a lot because as a parent, I do things certain times. I say things in a certain way hmm. where I tell myself it's because I'm disciplining them. But I think yeah. if I really am honest with myself, a lot of times it's not discipline, it's emotion. Like I'm mm. upset at them. And I think sometimes where I've gone wrong is when I've said things out of anger or disappointment, and it was a lot more than the situation necessary required for them to understand that they did something wrong yeah. or for, them to, for me to bring about a change in behavior. And I lash out at them because I'm so mad at them and it's personal. Yeah. And I think I think about that a lot because I realize when my kids do things that go against my wishes for them or when my kids disappoint me it's not a personal attack on me like these kids are not doing this to make me mad yeah. they're doing that because they're also sinful just like i am and i think i have and to remember that gives me a very healthy perspective is what like don't for me to remind remind myself like don't lash out at them in anger because i'm angry and mm convince myself and rationalize that that's okay because that was out of discipline and a loving heart. Yeah. That was not out of a discipline and loving heart. That was because I also am a sinful person and I am broken and I'm lashing out at them in ways that are hurtful to them. And that's something I need to apologize. I'm not saying I will never do that again, but I think recognizing that that is something that's coming out of my own broken sinful nature and I need to apologize to them and ask for forgiveness. Um, and I think it was recognizing that that was kind of a big thing for me because for it's a long great. time, I just said, that's normal. Like, yeah. It's discipline. Like even in the Bible, it says you can't spare the rod. Like I got to discipline them. But there's a difference between disciplining your kids and reacting emotionally because you're personally feeling attacked by them. Yes. And they're yes. not always synonymous. Yep. Yep. Yep.
I agree. I agree. Yeah. But let's let's go back to that advice that your mom gave you because I, th- I think that's fantastic advice. And if anyone is dating and and, and whatnot, <laughs> I just I just think that's great advice because one of the things I like to tell people in our church, I like to say that you need to see your boyfriend or your girlfriend at their very worst, and you got to ask yourself, can I live with that for the rest of my life? Because the chances of them changing. Who knows? Maybe they will, but it's probably very slim. And you need to kind of see them at their worst and ask yourself, "Can I live with that every day of my life?" And if you can't, then you shouldn't, because I do think Sue. A lot of people like to go into relationships, particularly people who end up marrying somebody. Sometimes they do this because they sort of have like the savior's complex, like the Messiah mm-hmm. complex, mm-hmm. like they're thinking, "Well, I think I could save this person. I think I could change them and transform them, and it'll be all good." And my experience is that as as people have gone into relationships thinking of it with that mentality, it just never happens. It really never happens, and it becomes a real sad. Appointment and really hard life as a result of it. So you got to be able to see people at their worst and ask yourself, "Can I live with that?" And if you can't, then I would, you know, you should refrain from that. So your mom gave you some great well, advice. That so is some this is advice. not obviously a marriage episode, but I did want to ask you because sometimes I think about this. Yes, as you said, we can't change our spouses, right? Like that's that ability is kind of beyond yes. us, right? Because God can change. You can bring about a temporary behavioral change, but as I know now with John be like I me yelling at John to please put the toilet seat down so I don't fall into the toilet in the middle of the night and him doing it for a little bit but then he just reverts right back and I know yes I can enact temporary behavioral change but that doesn't necessarily mean he's changing inside and in the heart because yeah. only God can do that but I feel like from listening to you talk about your marriage journey I feel like you have changed a lot by the grace of God, by the grace of God. So that's the difference. Yeah, yeah, I do. But, you know, I would even say, like, I, I still think that's dangerous. So I, I do think, if I'm going to be very honest, it was actually quite dangerous for my wife to marry me because I was so not you, a would you Would person. you recommend your children not marry people? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I would I, I, I so wouldn't mind my girls finding a guy like me right now, like my version of who I am in my 40s, but in my 20s and my teens and my 20s, oh, my gosh, I was an absolute wreck. <laughs> I did not trust my wife. I thought she was going to cheat on me. You know, I thought like every guy liked her and stuff. I was just such this, I was so insecure that it was just awful. And so like what I like to tell my girls and my son, I just said, it's really important that you eventually, when you meet somebody and you want to eventually marry someone, you really need to ask and say, what kind of relations do they have with their parents? If it's very dysfunctional, I just say, you just got to be careful. Not to say mm-hmm. that it's, you should just say no way, never, but, if somebody grew up in a very dysfunctional home, the chances are they're quite dysfunctional emotionally. And yeah. they're going to bring that baggage into your relationship. And if you don't have the capacity nor the personality to deal with that, like it's going to be tough. And the chances are like what? 90% of the people don't really change. So you got to you gotta just be ready for that. So I always say like it's really important for you to ask like what's your relationship like with your mom, your dad, and just see kind of what kind of home they grew up in. Because if they grew up in a very, very dysfunctional home, chances are it's going to be incredible. It's going to be an incredible lift for you to try to make the relationship work. And so Jenny, I'm just so grateful that she took a chance. And by the grace of God, it worked out. So, you know, so thank you. You wouldn't say she's responsible for the changes and the she, transformation. No, no, it no. was God, and, and I don't think she would say it was because of me. He changed. She would, she would say it's all God, like all mm-hmm. God. Like one woman mm-hmm. asked her one time. So Jenny's not the best person she should go for, go to for marital advice. Wait, why? Give, she just don't give great marital advice sometimes, and I think people get a little shocked by her by the way she answers it. So she's hilarious sometimes, but. But, you know, like this one woman from the church went to her and she just said, you know, I don't know. How do you resolve conflicts with Peter? Like when Peter gets in, you guys get into a fight. How do you do this? I'm really struggling with that with my spouse. And, you know, she was just being honest. And, you know, she doesn't necessarily like, you know, she's not like a counselor or anything like that. So she just said, oh, well, you know, usually what happens is we get into a real big fight. He'll get up in the morning. He'll pray. And God will start speaking to him. And then he'll usually come back and he'll apologize. And she just like looked at her like... Well, I guess that was well, uh, kind of nice. That's not very helpful for me. <laughs> so, you know, but I think the end of the day, Jenny wouldn't even be able to take credit, even though I think she deserves a, deserves a lot of credit because of her patience and tolerance of me. But I think at the end, it was just really God. God is the one who really was able to change me. And I just said, you know what? I just want to have a good, healthy marriage. I want to love this woman the best I can. 
And uh, I know I have to do a lot of work and a lot of changing, and it's and I'm still doing it. I still got a lot of work and a lot of changing to do. And it's not like you know, like yeah, we have a good marriage, but it's not like it's a ten out of ten every single day. It can always get better. And so, which actually, when we're as we're getting older now, and as our kids are getting older, and we're thinking about how do we start living our life when we have no kids in the house mm-hmm. anymore, it's actually a little bit scary. But at the same time, it's a little bit exciting. We're like, oh, this is good. So Jenny is going to start picking up because I start to pick up tennis again. So she wants to learn. So I'm like, great, we're going to have a sport we can do together. We can play tennis together. And so she's going to learn that and stuff. But, but yeah, but we're just trying to figure that out. And I think we're realizing, okay, like before our kids were like our buffer, mm-hmm, but now mm-hmm. they're no longer going to be there. So can we, you and I, just continue to really enjoy each other's friendship and keep growing? You know and stuff, and I think that's the the area that we are excited about. But at the same time, just realizing, okay, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. So, anyway, well, speaking of relationships that you are stuck for for life <laughs> and disagreements that you sometimes uh-huh. have, um, who's that? No, I mean I'm trying to that? segue for you. Oh, for us oh. to talk about, you know, because sometimes you know, families. All right, that family was members. Smooth. That was not smooth. <laughs> But hey, I don't think you should be judging me. That was I'm trying smooth. to help you out Cause I, cause here. Because I'm thinking like, I'm like, who, well, who else in my life do I have that? that no, because, is, you know, I feel like sometimes you, right. when I think about the holidays coming. It's a great um, way to segue. Yes, we I are love the holidays. Go for it. It's such a festive time. Festive. I went to a store yesterday and they were already playing Christmas music. And I was like, wait, what is happening right now? It's only November. Like, yeah, and no, it's 78 but, degrees outside. What's going but anyway, on? Anyway, um, but I feel like sometimes we're like, it's daunting to have to sit in a table with a bunch of people that you possibly have not spoken to for many, yeah. many months yeah. in the name of Thanksgiving or Christmas, knowing that a lot of those people hold some beliefs or opinions that completely are different from the way you see life or your worldview or how yeah. you know you would vote, for example. Yeah. And so what is our topic for today, Pastor Peter? Our, our topic is how do we disagree in a loving way? Like how do we how can we get to a place where we are free to disagree? And I think when I share the advice that I got from my mentor, he said, you know, not everyone thinks like you. So how do we apply that to our life where we don't feel attacked when somebody disagrees with us? Because sometimes when somebody disagrees with you, we sometimes feel attacked, don't we, Sua? Oh, like, yeah. Why are you I attacking me? I feel attacked like, by my children all the time. Yeah, and they're so like, what's going on here? So how do we do that? How do we as adults do that? And I think this is not just for the holidays, but this is key for life in general. If you want to be in healthy relationships with people... One of the things we have to come to accept is that they will disagree with us in certain things. And we just have to be okay with it. Like if I, I just had a, I'm a very close friend, like a very close friend. And he and I really disagree in, uh, he doesn't believe women should be in ministry. Hmm. And I was just thinking like, whoa, I don't know if I can be a friend anymore. Like this is like, I don't know if I can handle this idea of you disagreeing with that. And so I tried to explain to him uh, why uh, I believe women should be in ministry. And he had his, his thoughts and, and I just, we, we both agreed. you know what? I still love you. Um, we got to, dis- we could be free to disagree on this and it's okay. But for me, originally I was thinking, how do I overcome this? And I'm sure he was thinking the same thing, you know? Uh, but he knew this of me much more than I knew this of him. And he recently shared that with me because he knows like Metro, we have women pastors mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things like that. So anyway, but this is big, big. Like many of you are gonna go home for Thanksgiving and some of you are like, goodness gracious, like I gotta deal with this. Mm-hmm. I gotta deal with people talking about certain things, politics, but even some, you know, like some of you, if you're single and you go home and your aunt or uncle will be like, how come you're still single? Like, what's going on? You oh know? my God, it's so and typical. It's just like people, I, I get it. It's, it's you're dreading this. You are absolutely dreading it. And uh, how do we get to that place where we can learn to freely disagree with somebody in a loving way, right? That is sort of like the million dollar question. And so, Sua, I would love to know, like, what's helped you? If, if there's even an example when, you, you know, somebody disagreed with you. Clearly, you shared this in the past where you and your father disagreed about, you know, some things about people. My father-in-law. You and your father-in-law. Mm-hmm. And, 
You did not disagree with him in a loving way at that time. I did not disagree with him in a loving <laughs> so way. So what have you learned? But well, that was actually pretty recent. So I can't even pretend that I was like, <laughs> oh, oh no. that was like 10 years wait, ago. Wait, and wait. now I'm such a wait, holier how person. Was that? How recent was um, that? Were you I want to say it's after I moved to Columbus. Wow. It was yeah, it's pretty recent. It's so pretty that's recent. Not, wait, how many it's years like in the past lived? four years. So you lived in Columbus for four years? Mm-hmm. Wow. That is recent. That's my, that's my point. It's not like, you know, a remote past thing this is like a work and active progress it's so bad because when i get triggered i get so yeah. triggered and there's yeah. very like i said there's very specific the things that really trigger hmm? yeah you're the mongoose i'm the mon yeah i know yeah. i'm, I'm yeah. the mongoose and like your husband says somebody triggers you watch out she will kill you and the sad thing is that was actually a much more evolved version of me i used to be much worse like i used to be so bad this is probably why john said i was the mongoose because when we were i dating, would love to see um, that side of you that would be wonderful to see I, I wish you guys had cameras in your house and then you can just you know put that on a link yeah but the funny thing is i'm a hothead so then i also i'm very like i my fuse blows out very quickly also so i like have a really rapid boil yeah, yeah, yeah. and then like i'm just done you see, you know, listen, if you said this about yourself, I don't know if I would believe you, but because John says it, that's why I believe it. You know, I mean, because, I just, yeah, I, I, well, wouldn't, funny, I though, would not because... believe you unless John actually says you're a mongoose. Like, no, you I'm have scary. the capacity. Yeah. Because yeah. So when John and I, I argue, um, John's an introvert and I'm an extrovert. And one of the things is like, I speak while I'm thinking, I can think and speak at the same time. <laughs> Whereas you know how introverts kind of need yeah. to process what's been said and then come back with a response. And so it was really funny, especially when we were first dating, because when we get into an argument, it would be me going from zero to like 100, like just spewing anger. And then 20 minutes later, I'm like done. So I'm completely done. I'm not mad anymore. I'm just hungry. And I just want to go eat dinner. <laughs> and that's when John starts his anger, because now he's starting to process the things that I've said to him. And my point is, why are you still mad? It's over now. And he's like, what do you mean it's over? It's just begun. That's right. <laughs> so that's like, right. That's right. I mean, in a way, I think that's a good thing because we can never hold on to a grudge because I'm like, I'm so done at that point. Yeah, so I'm yeah. just laughing by myself. Well, like I see my own foolishness from yeah, like yeah. rewind 10 minutes ago. But okay, going back to disagreements. Um I have been told by those close to me. Okay, fine. My sister-in-law. I've been told by my sister-in-law. <laughs> my sister-in-law, whom I love, by the way, one of my hands down, one of my favorite people in the world, one of my favorite, favorite people to hang out with. We laugh so much. She's the one who set me up with John. So obviously, yeah, like we have yeah, a great yeah. relationship and dynamic. But she once said to me, in love, completely in love. And it's very rare that she'll say things like this to me. She said to me, Sua, when you disagree with people like with me you become so arrogant and like you're so mm. condescending um and she was like it doesn't make me feel very good when you talk to me like that mm. um and obviously i've known this about myself but i think when people around me especially people whom i love say things like that in that very blatant way i think it does make you reassess like okay hold on like what is it that i'm doing that i'm acting like this um and so even before, I would say, um, I would say the past four to six years has been an interesting time for me personally, because I have very strong like beliefs when it comes to social justice. Yeah. And I feel like it's been a very interesting few years yeah. with, you know, the initial Trump campaign and all of the junk that came about with that, you know, the warring between the different groups, like the different ideas, like if you care about this, you wouldn't be voting that way. Like if you actually, um, a Christian would never vote this way. Like there was so much um, like heated rhetoric. Yeah. And I think that there was a lot of times when I got into arguments with people because I was like, how can you call yourself a Christian and vote this way? Or how can you call yourself a Christian and say you care about the things that Jesus cares about and say yeah. that this is how you're going to vote? Like there was a lot of that kind of dialogue. Mm. Um, so I was pretty, I'm going to be honest, I was pretty closed off, especially in the beginning of it, where I was like, you are clearly a false Christian. Like if, if, there's no way that if you knew God's heart, yeah, you would vote this way. Um Looking back on it, it's not even necessarily that I completely 
disagree with what I said. I disagree to some degree because I'm, I think I've passed the point where I think I'm so arrogant that I alone know how God feels and how God wants to rule this country. Like, I think I've definitely developed some humility in that sense because yeah. now I've come to a place where I'm like, who do I think I am that I'm the only person who knows? Like, I'm, I'm not a prophet, you know, like, I don't know. God's not speaking to me directly, but I've, I recently heard of this podcast um, with David French, who is like a very famous person in the Christian arena. And he had said something about how, um, People frequently will use, will quote Bible verses about Jesus, you know, overthrowing the tables at the temple or like, you know, the prophets using very strong, aggressive words to yeah. you know, condemn, um, you know, the people or Jesus calling the Pharisees a brood of vipers, like all of these things to say, it's okay, we are justified and being angry and using certain very, very violent rhetoric because even look, even Jesus did it and the Old Testament prophets did it. And his whole point was, Yes, but I'm not Jesus. And Jesus has the advantage, among, among other advantages that Jesus has over who we are, he has the ability to see into people's hearts. Yep. We don't. When people, when Jesus yep. was calling them out, he's calling them out because he can literally see what they're thinking and feeling, yeah. yep. whereas we don't. Yeah. And I and the, the prophets, God was directly giving them words to speak. Yeah. You know, we are not mod, like I am not a prophet. God does not give me words to speak. So it's extremely arrogant of me to be able to because when I'm arguing with somebody in that arrogant, condescending way, I'm assuming that I know why they're saying that to me. Like I know their intentions. I'm completely assuming that I know why they're saying the things they're saying with what feelings that they're saying. That they're like I'm assuming a whole bunch of things, and I yeah. think I finally come to a place where I'm like. You know what? I don't know what their intentions are. And I don't know how they've come to this place to believe these things. And it's so arrogant of me. And that arrogance clearly was coming out. That's why my sister in law, and she's pr probably not the only recipient of this condescending, arrogant version of me. Um, it was clearly there. So, is there any other thing other than like social justice that kind of you know, like somebody can disagree with you about where you can become like upset, arrogant, you know, all that stuff. Is there any other thing there other than social justice, Sua? I mean, social justice makes it sound a lot nicer. Yeah. It's not just, it's not even that I'm like a justice warrior and that's why yeah, I'm arguing yeah. with them. It's more so that, so no, so remember, I used to be super fundy. So I used to argue with people about like predestination, things like this. And I think it was, um, back when I was like in my teens and twenties, that arrogance came out a lot more, yeah. even on non-social justice issues and on anything that I felt very strongly about, it came out. So like when I was arguing with John, it wasn't always about social justice or, you know, reform theology. Like, Wait, you know, what, was, what was that? Yeah. What did you ask him when you first went on a date with him? What's his theology of salvation? I was like, oh, I can't even be in a relationship with someone who doesn't have a full-fledged, <laughs> you know, theology of like, substitutionary uh, atonement. Like, yeah, do you even what? know what substitutionary atonement is? God, he's like so okay, beneath clearly, me. So I, don't, I, I, I really think the reason why John had rejected you first wasn't necessarily <laughs> because he wasn't interested in you. Maybe that you were not attractive enough for him. I think really the reason why you, he was not interested. That was in an a-hole. Because you were fundy, and he's like, I cannot be with a, a crazy Christian woman. He didn't woman. even go to church at the time. <laughs> oh my he didn't even god! Go to church. Poor John. Yeah. Oh my goodness, um, poor John. Hey, no, you know so, what I think? Well, you know what yeah, else I think is messed yeah. up, and I know I know but, you go off tangent. I'm gonna go off on tangents. Okay, fine. Right? Go off on tangents. You shared a few episodes ago, right? In the people pleasing episode, you said that you played spin the bottle in fourth grade. Yes. And you kissed affirmative. Yes, and you kissed Daniel. I did. I think that's so jacked up that you did that at fourth grade, but then when you dated John, you wouldn't get affectionate and physical with him in that way. Like you wouldn't kiss John. I was like, that's jacked up. Okay, you're an but, adult. Okay. Like, you wouldn't kiss John and yet you kiss a got kid when you're in fourth grade. It's messed up. Can we talk about what but you know what? This is actually a very interesting point that you bring up. Yeah. Because let's talk about what happened between the time when I had let's talk about what happened between fourth grade when I was freely exploring my sexual boundaries fourth grade. to, okay. um, I guess, senior year of high school, 12th grade, when I met John, what happened? Youth group happened. What happened okay. was like, nobody was talking to a fourth grader at church about the importance of purity yeah. culture oh, and okay. sex. I see what I see what happened was I was talked to so strongly about the dangers of sexual okay. sin that I became, and again, I have You're no regrets. I'm not sitting here going like, oh, I wish I had slept around more. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's STD galore out there. Like, I don't want none of that. Mm, but mm. 
what happened between me in fourth grade and me in 12th grade is like I got freaked out about this whole rhetoric about okay. like going to hell and getting gonorrhea if you have sex. Like I didn't <laughs> want any of it. People, some people are listening like, what's gonorrhea? <laughs> they know don't, what gonorrhea don't, is. Don't look at it. Don't, don't Google it, it because there's don't some Google nasty it. pictures. Yes, yes, yes. Do not but anyways, that. so yeah, right. I mean, to add to that, like the point was like the whole like I kissed dating goodbye, all of that happened. Yeah. That's why I became a fundy. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. All right. So Sua, for me, you're you're a little bit different for me because I think you kind of grew up pretty emotionally healthy, like kind of like a big part of your life. For me, uh, some of you listening, you might be able to identify more with me than more with Sua because for me, um, I, I grew up pretty emotionally dysfunctional home. I had emotional unhealthiness in my own life. And so whenever somebody disagreed with me, I really felt like they were attacking me. And I, I, I truly believe in some ways, I don't know if I could really be your friend or be in a relationship with you if you disagree, disagree with me in that. And in some ways, when people disagree with me, I felt like they were shaming me hmm. in some ways. And so I felt some of that stuff. So this is like, this has been like a, a journey for me because in the past, I did not have the healthiness to really you know, uh, be in a good place and love somebody when they disagree with me. In fact, they just became like my enemy. Like I just saw them as like my enemy. And I think, my, I think maybe I, I learned that a little bit from my mother and father because I think they're kind of like that, that when somebody disagrees with them, oh my goodness, like they just see them as like the worst person ever, you know? What kind and, of disagreements? Uh, it, it could be a little bit about disagreeing and how kids are being, like how p other parents raise their kids or like what, what, how come they're not willing to, you know, like I said, my mother is so sacrificial, right? right? She will sacrifice everything for her kids. And when she meets other parents and stuff, when they're not willing to do that for their children, she like, I don't know, I think like just a disagreement in like how people raise their kids mm -hmm. is so like she will get upset about that i'm just like man why are you getting so worked up about this stuff like man this is this is just weird and god forbid if you know they actually had a verbal exchange about it i think it could potentially get ugly mm -hmm. you know and stuff so i do think that there are things like that that happens um oh my god I'm, i don't know if i should share this but those I, are like the best stories i get okay. so excited when you oh, say man. things like that okay Oh gosh! I just hope nobody in my wife's side of the family listens to this. But anyway, uh, I know my wife listens to it. I don't care if she hears it. I remember a long time ago. This is when we were engaged to get married. So you know, my father-in-law doesn't go to church. He worked at a. He owned a dry cleaning business. He had a lot of stuff going on, and um, you know, my father was connecting with our pastor to arrange the wedding and all that kind of stuff. And so, like, I remember my father called my father-in-law and started talking to him. And, and uh, he said, well, listen, you know, the pastor said that this is the, uh, you know, Saturday, like five o'clock would be the like perfect time for him to like officiate our wedding. Mm -hmm. And my father-in-law said, well, you know, I, you know, we have a business, we work and, um, like we don't close till like five thirty. Is it, can he push it back to like seven? The that's wedding? A, yeah. Like okay. 7 PM. Okay. Like Sua, that's not a big deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. My father hung up on him. Wait, what, what was the anger there? What do you think <laughs> the, the anger, anger was stemming like, from? So here's the anger. I think this is what the anger. He's like, your daughter's getting married. My pastor says five o'clock is the best time for him. And all you care about is work over mm, your daughter's wedding? Who do you think you he are? He hung up on him? He hung oh, up God. on him. How did you work through that one? I was so, my, so the good thing about my father was that, you know, my wife comes from an emotionally healthy family, right? So I think he just, he just accepted it, you know, because my father is so much older than my father's mm -hmm. like, my father could be his son. That could be his son, right? Because Wait, my really? Father, yeah, my father was super old. Oh, because like Jenny is, oh, right, because you have much older sisters. Yes, yes. Right, much, okay. I have older, no, but my father had me very late. My father got married when he was like in his 30s, I think, you know, Which is stuff. pretty old back then. Yeah, back yeah. then, it's super, yeah. super old. So anyway, so yeah, so anyway, I think he understood generational gap, things like that. But again, so that's kind of like the home that I come from, you know, like you disagree with me or whatever, like I'm calling you, not, I'm not necessarily asking you five, is five okay? I'm telling you five is the time you need to accommodate to. Interesting. And the fact that you said it's not good for me because I got to work, we don't get out, to like 5.30 or so, can we do seven o'clock? And my father took that as, why are you disagreeing with me? 
I hang up. So anyway, so I think mm-hmm. in some ways, like, you know, sometimes it can become like that, like the more unhealthy you are when somebody begins to disagree with you. And I know for some of you, you just hate going to these family things because you just feel like it's going to be disagreement after disagreement. And, and, and how do we get to that place where, you know, you can try to still love them and be free to disagree? Because that's like the million dollar question, right? How do we do that? How have I been able to do that? It's really, really hard. It's hard. It's like super, super hard. And I think the only thing that's helped me over the years is this. I have to get healthier. Mm. It's not that the other person has to get healthier. I have to get healthier because a lot of this, it's not, I'm not saying that it's your fault, but like you cannot, like your mother said to you, Sua, your mother said, don't expect that you can change your husband or your future husband. Mm -hmm. Just, Mar- I just say, if I can live with that, then you marry them. I think in many ways, like you have to get to the point where you say, listen, I can't change this person and how they see things and how they, you know, how they view life or what they might see in me or lack thereof. I just have to change and I have to grow and I have to take that journey within it. And one of the things that I, that, that I tell people uh, that, you know, especially those who are high feelers, high feelers are quite intuitive, right? The Korean word for that is nunchi. Mm-hmm. Right, nunchi. Mm-hmm. That means intuitiveness, right? Doesn't that do mean you have intuitive? good nunchi? I do, but but here's the thing: I turn it off most of the times. On purpose? Yes. And like, is that the, a healthy thing to do? It absolutely is a healthy thing mm. to do, because if you keep your nunchi on all the time, this this intuitiveness, you begin well, to see people as demons. But nunchi, okay, so nunchi is a little bit more than just intuitiveness. I would say, I mean, not that it? I'm like a linguist or anything, no, but I are, feel like nunchi is like, um, I mean, it literally translates to, I think, like a visual thing, but it's, it's, but it's not really visual. That's why it's interesting. It's, it's kind of like sensing, it's kind of reading the room, kind yeah. of like reading the room, yeah. scanning yeah. your environment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for, it's like a very clear example, like somebody who, um, has Dunchi would know that you shouldn't be automatically reaching for the last slice of pizza without maybe checking if right. other people want right. to. Or a person without Dunchi would be talking and talking and talking about their lives and the other person is clearly checked out, yeah. but you can't tell that the person is checked yeah. out. Yeah. Or a person without Dunchi is telling the, a person something and the person looks offended, but you are not registering that. Yeah. Like things like this. It's like a whole comprehensive you, it's a lot more taking. than just intuitiveness, yeah. Yes. Uh, but the problem with that, that's the good side of it, right? The bad side of it is that over the years, I have I have gone through this, and I've seen other people who have this type of intuitiveness. Um, th- it, it ends up destroying them. They become so cynical. They think they just they think badly of everyone because they can read them. They know what they're thinking. They kind of get a feel for where they're coming from. But do you and- think that maybe that's not accurate though? Because no, no, the reading I, I, is based on your own reading. So, How do you so know? I would say that I would say that those who are quite intuitive are actually pretty good at that. They're good at kind of reading people and they're good at knowing people and kind of where they are. That's that's one of the gifts of being intuitive, mm. right? Because you have that intuitiveness. Yeah. No, I don't think they're always right. I think that they're wrong sometimes. And that's why it's that's why it's dangerous to keep it on all the time. And so I tell people that you gotta be able to turn it off because if you can't turn it off, you're not you're gonna eventually get to a point in your life where you're not gonna trust anyone. And How you're do you so turn cynical. it off? Off. It's the not be- something that you can like turn off and on. No, you can't. How do you turn you it off? You can't. Um, you, you, yeah, you can't. You can't dwell on it. The best way that I've learned to turn it off is that I've gotten to a place where I just said, you know what? I think certain things about certain people. I might, but I won't go there. I won't linger, and I won't. I won't let my mind go there and try to process all. So, this like stuff. You're, you're saying, you don't perseverate. No, I don't. It. Like you don't yeah. reread, nope. the, uh, reanalyze nope. every single interaction nope. you've had with a person nope. at the end of the day. And and at the end, I'll say this to myself. I'll say, I'm pretty messed up myself. So who am I to just keep going deeper and trying to analyze and figure this person out? He's broken or she's broken just like me. It's okay. And it protects me. It protects me from becoming cynical. It protects me. Like I have, I have mm. some people that I know, like they are done with people. Like this, I'm just done because I've gotten, and these are folks who've struggled with uh, their inability to forgive people. Uh, these are people who are incredibly intuitive and they're able to see people and they're able to read them in certain ways and stuff like that. But they're always looking for faults. And this is the problem with Nunchi. The problem with Nunchi or this intuitiveness is that people who, who, who can't turn it off, they're always looking for the faults of other people. 
And that's a problem. And when you're going into like a family setting and somebody starts to disagree with you, oh my God, that's like the, the spark that lights the fire, right? Now they're disagreeing with you. And so now you're turning up this new intuitiveness. Now you begin to see them as much worse than they really are. And you have to learn to turn that off. You got to learn to turn off your nunchi or this intuitiveness so that you can have a sane way. Oh, and the other thing that helps me is that I realize how much God loves this person. You know, that, that helps me a lot. Like mm -hmm. this person is creating the image of God. And because he or she's creating the image of God, God really loves this person. So if I keep using this intuitiveness to sort of deconstruct them and sort of see them as this really bad person, then it's not going to be healthy for me in the long run. And so you got to be able to turn it off. And, you know, that's the thing that when I talk to some of my staff members who are pretty intuitive, they're just like, how do you turn it off? Like, how do you do that? But to me, that's, that's, that's the place where you can get healthy is when you're learning to just turn it off. And so like family functions, or if you're going to a place where, you know, you, people are going to disagree with you, or, you know, you, they're not going to make you feel well, you just got to turn it off because that's the only way you're going to be able to, I think, you're going to be able to get through that day or that function that you get invited to. So you got to be able to do that. Yeah. So that's what helps me. The other thing that helps me, Sua, is that sometimes I do lose it like you did with your father. In law. in law yeah your father-in-law i mean right? i have lost it on my father too but i feel like yeah. that's less damaging so so like your father-in-law and we will stop talking about that i feel really uh, bad okay so <laughs> we will we will we'll mess up right we will we will let our emotions get the best of us i think it's okay but you got to ask for forgiveness when you do like you got to just say listen i'm really sorry i'm sorry i said mm -hmm, the things that mm -hmm. i said sorry about that and i hope it's okay and i think that's a really important aspect that's an important thing to embrace into your life when you know when you are at you know when somebody disagrees with you because sometimes we do lose it give yourself room to mess up and fail but also give yourself room and give yourself permission and this is the hardest part to just say listen i'm really sorry for the things that i said and things that i did during this time i hope that you'll forgive me and i think that's really that that'll be a really, really important thing to do so Anyway, yeah, that, that to me is like what's helped me over the years because it's not easy when, you know, in the beginning of my journey of life, especially, you know, being a pastor and even before that, college student, all that stuff, when people start to disagree with me, like theologically, like when I was in seminary, I feel like I had to prove myself theologically and somebody disagreed with me. I'm like, well, I got to figure out a way to make sure I'm right. And I think the, the most important, oh, this is a great advice I got. I don't remember who said this. It's not about being right or wrong. It's about being righteous. Hmm. And for those who disagree with you, it's not about you being right. It's not about them being right or wrong. But at the end, like, we just have to keep responding in a righteous way, right? And that's the calling, right? That's, that's what we have to do. We have to learn to be righteous, not right. And I think for me, I really want it to be right. I want it to be right all the time. And uh, we always want to be right, but uh, we just got to learn to be more righteous than right. You know, so that's that helps me a lot to be able to disagree. So, any, what about you, Sua? No, any, I mean, any other things that's helped you over the years? It's very interesting because I, I have learned, you know, you know that whole saying. I mean, I think it's Marshall McLuhan, but it's the medium is the message. So, how Wait, you who, deliver? Who's this guy? What's this guy's name? Marshall McLuhan. He it's McLuhan. Like a, who is he's this like guy? he talked about communications and mass media. He had, he was like right. I think he was you like you, you spit out these names like everyone knows who these guys no no are. it's because I went to I studied journalism and mass communication. So anyway. Okay. He so he said the medium is the message, and I think a lot of times with things like this, the medium mm. really is the mm -hmm. message. The way you deliver something, unfortunately, is what people remember more so than what you actually said and the content of what you said. So I think it's because emotions are such a primitive thing for us, even more so than uh, the parts of our brain that kind of um, process logic and information. I think the emotional part is a lot more basic and primitive to us. So I feel like if I say something to somebody um, and my logic is perfect. And hundred percent accurate. Yeah. You can fact check it. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. But the way I delivered it was so condescending and arrogant. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the person really gives a crap yeah. how sound the logic was yeah. or how yeah. persuasive yeah. my argument was. What they're going to walk away remembering is how I made them feel. Yeah. Right. And I. Yeah. And you know, I don't think there's anything in the Bible that condones my hurting others. No matter what you know. God, I mean, I know like your friend Eugene wrote that book, you know, thou shalt not be a jerk. I read the book. It's excellent. Um, and I think it's true. It's like, yeah. when did we start believing that it's okay to be jerks? It's yeah. okay for us to be act like jerks in the name of Jesus. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. it's like, I feel like it's my personal test to defend whatever version yeah. of gospel yeah. it is yeah. that I believe. Yes. And I think that's what it is. It's like, that's mm. what I believe. 
you know, but I can't yeah. force that upon other people. And if those are people who say they also have relationship with God, like I'm sure they're hearing whatever it yeah. is that they're hearing from God. And maybe they're hearing different things. The other thing is I remember, you know, Rachel Held Evans. Do you know Rachel Held Evans? I've, I think I've heard of the name. She wrote some very great books. Like she has a lot of trauma in the church and she wrote You're these so books about. You're so learned, Sua. No, I'm not learned. But she has, yes, she wrote are. about, um because she was going through a lot of, um disappointment in the church she grew up in the church super fundamental mm. and then she started kind of really debunking that and deconstructing okay. her faith and i remember she talked about how angry she was at this one retreat that she was speaking at because the people there were so anti-gay and she had a lot mm. of gay friends and she was so upset mm. but the thing that was really eye-opening and um healing for her was that she was giving out communion and she was so angry at these 300 people but she was standing there giving them the bread saying this is the body of Christ broken yeah. for you, yeah. Yeah. for these people that she hated in yeah. her heart. Yeah. And it made her realize the same body that broke for her broke for each and every one of yeah. these people. And yeah. it made her see them as part of her family and people that God loves just as much as he loves her. So right. I, I think it, that's kind of what you said earlier about how being able to see that God loves them. Yeah. Um, I think for a long time when I used to argue with people about these things and I felt once again, like I also felt attacked because I'm like, are you questioning my theories? Like, are you questioning yeah. my theology or and what some I believe, people could my really value be, system? Yeah, some people could be really like just they can be really aggressive when they disagree with you, they right? So that's, yeah. Well, real. actually, that's me, so I can't really say anything. But anyway, <laughs> the good thing we never argued because we <laughs> care about the same things. But um, maybe that's why our friendship is good. We don't like disagree on things. Well, only about but, justice stuff. Yeah. But, you and I do have um, some things we disagree with, and we'll put that on the show. Yeah, but sometime. they're not like yeah. personal to me. That's so true. I feel like okay. it's not like right. um, but I think that for a long time I I finally come to a place where I realize we're all victims, you know, yeah. like I thought this world yeah. was made up of perpetrators and victims, yeah. right? Mm. So I'm a victim. You hurt me. I am a mm. victim. But then I think now as I get older and grow in my relationship with, you know, God and the way I see the gospel and the way the world has, you know, been broken, I realize like we're all victims. Like yeah. there's only one perpetrator is Satan, right? Yeah. We're all victims. And so yeah. when somebody hurts me, they're hurting me because they also have been hurt. Yeah. You know, they're also broken just like yep. I am broken. Yep. And yeah. I have to rewire my brain to understand that this person who is attacking me or I feel like they're attacking me, they're not the perpetrator. They are yeah. not my enemy. And I think if I keep seeing people who disagree with me as my enemies, I'm never going to be able to kind of, especially in the family of God, I will never be able to achieve the kind of unity that I want because I'm constantly, if I think the enemy lives inside our church just yeah. because they disagree, like there's never going to be any unity. So I think it's me reframing, like we're all victims. Good. We're all been hurt. That's good. You know? um, and social work also a little plug for social work. If you ever want to be really poor for the rest of your life, but care a lot about justice issues. I, it really made me see that. It really made me see that hurt people hurt people. Hurt you people know, and it's not that yep. yeah, it's it's yep. a cycle and it's not necessarily yep. because they're just evil people. Yep. It's because they are yep. hurt people. Yep. You know. And if and, and if you see yourself, I mean so I just want to share this part. Uh listen, no matter how much you've been hurt, we can never find our identity in being a victim. And that's a scary place. When you find your identity in being a victim, then when somebody disagrees with you, they automatically are the ones who are trying to hurt you. That's how you naturally uh, receive that. You know, you can say that you've been victimized, but if you're a follower of Jesus mm -hmm. Christ, you are not a victim mm -hmm. because a victim is like, to, if you just see yourself as a victim, then you actually, that's your identity. And your identity should never be one as such where you see yourself just as a victim. You are a child of God. You've been victimized, yes, but you are not a victim. You're a child of God. And so that's very important to know. And I think that's the hard work that we have to get to because when we know that we're children of God, then we can be in a firmer place, right. a more secure place when people disagree with us, when people make us feel terrible by, you know, by questions they ask or, you know, different things that happens during the holidays. Because I know, I know people that are like, I hate going to family gatherings. They're like, how come you're still single? You know, or why like are you that. so fat? Yeah. Oh my gosh. P like yes. literally, Asian families. Well, Asian, fa Korean families have no I'm problem sorry, saying, everyone. "Wow, you got fat." Like, like whoa, okay. You I, every time, every yeah, time. Like, what's going on with you? You gained some weight. You know, so they have no problem. It's just part of our culture, and it's like, 
Wow. Okay. Well, clearly, I I I, I am not Korean. I'm more Americanized <laughs> than Korean. In, in, in the in the West, you would never say that. Wow, you got fat. Like we would never <laughs> ever say that, right? So, but yeah. But the other thing I would say, my last thing I would say is this. I I think we underestimate how much we actually do need people in our lives who disagree with us mm-hmm. to help us to grow. Truth. Like the thing is, the only way we're going to grow is when we're in a very uncomfortable state, right? And that's the only way we can really grow. And it's just like working out, right? Like Sue, you work out, I work out. We don't work out because we absolutely adore it. I wake up in the morning, I can't wait to work out. I can't wait to do this. I feel like you kind of do. <laughs> no, no, no. I Trust me, I don't. I, I okay. prefer to stay home and be lazy, but I do okay. it because I know I have to stay healthy. But uh, but we work out because we want to get healthy. But in order to really see gains, you have to like put yourself in a real hard, discomfort, uncomfortable position in order for you to see gains and grow and, you yeah, know, and get Yeah, Gio called it. Remember Gio, our guest? He said, he, he said you, your hashtag should be hallowed be thy Gains, <laughs> man, that, that, that guy is so creative, man. He's so creative. So, but I think the same thing spiritually, and this is the thing that my mentor, you know, Pete Scazzaro, tries to help me with. He says, Peter, you underestimate how important some of these people who come against you, who disagree with you, you really underestimate how important, how valuable they are to your spiritual formation. Because at the end, they help you to deny yourself. Mm. They help you to truly deny yourself so that you can learn to learn to love those that you don't agree with, love those who are in your eyes might be unlovable. These are people that you actually need in your life so that you can grow. And I think if you can enter into this holiday, holiday season with that mentality saying and this is how I turn off my nunchi too like I just say you know what I just need to grow and if I keep my nunchi on if I keep this intuitiveness thing on I can't grow because I'll just see anyone who disagrees with me as like this evil person or a bad person but I actually need to be more open and I need to do this for the sake of my own growth and for me to grow in self-denial so that I can try to be more like Jesus. Like that's my goal. That's my hope. But I can't do that if I'm just surrounded by people who agree with me, think I'm the greatest. I got to actually surround myself sometimes with people who disagree with me. And I think that is why we should be able to be okay to be around people we disagree Mm -hmm. with. And that's how we learn to disagree in a loving way. So that's the best. I think that's the best thing that best advice I've gotten over the years about that. And it's helped and it's, it's always hard, but it's helped me a lot. So anything you want to say, Sua, before we wrap up? Nope. I think you have covered it all. Are uh, have you disagreed with your mother and father in the uh, last couple of weeks that they've been here? Wait, didn't I talk about this in the last step? I feel like I talked about this previously. Yeah, I think you did. Literally, like the first couple, like the third night my mom got here, we we triggered each other AF and got into a huge argument, What's which ended AF? in both of us. Oh, I can't say it. Out loud. Is that a curse word? Ass F. Triggered ass F. <laughs> A-S- you need to read oh, up oh, okay. on your, but anyways, right. we, we triggered each other so badly okay. because we haven't seen each other physically for three and a half years. And so there were some misunderstandings and things that needed to be um, worked through. Mm. So there was some screaming and crying. I talked about this. I told oh, yeah, you, you, did, you did, my you husband did, you had did. to leave his Popeye's dinner <laughs> with the kids. <laughs> He got so scared. Yo, yo, I'm telling you, man, I miss John so much. I want to just hang out with him. He's, John he's, is the He best. has been notched up like many levels now since we only we talk about him so much in this podcast. And I don't see him. You see Jenny sometimes. Like she'll say I hi do, before we I record. do. I love Jenny so I much. Jenny, John, I love man. you so much. I want to hang out with John sometime, man, especially because we both like Yellowstone together so much. I just want to anyway. say um, in, on the topic of John, like husband's not changing. Um it was his birthday this past. Well, it's his birthday next weekend, Uh-oh. but I already gave him his gift. And I just want to say oh, that shit. I surprised him with this very nice particular thing that he's been wanting to buy that's been sold out forever. And I put myself on the wait list and I, I bought it and literally wow. got sold out within like a week of it coming back in stock. Wow, and good for you. It, you know, but no reaction. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, you kind of expected that, right? Yeah, I know, but my point is, it's true. My mom was right. He did not change. That's right. But the funny That's thing right. is, as you said, I have grown now. Yes, right. I don't take it personally. That's right. That's yeah. right. Because yeah. he's he's so joyful inside. He may yes. not express it, but he's inside, screaming he's just, on the inside. He is going bonkers. But so, what I want to know before we close here is like, how do you know all these little acronyms like AF? Like, like that's really what young people do. What, like, how do you stay, <laughs> how do you stay so up to date with these things? Because I don't know, I don't know what those are. You're like AF. 
I'm like, what is what is I don't AI? know most of the things. Sometimes when people text me things, I have to look them up on Google. I sure? really don't understand. Really? The other day, okay. my daughter called me bra. And I was yeah, like, but that's easy. What? I know that one. Yeah, but, Your daughter uh, called you bra. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> She's awesome. She's yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, listen, have a great holiday. Have a great holiday season. I know you're going to meet people, uh, relatives, other guests that you might disagree with. Just know like how much you need them to grow, continuously need to grow in your relationship with God, that sometimes these people help you to deny yourself. But most importantly, hopefully you can turn off your nunchi. Uh, that's uh, your intuitiveness so that you can continue to move forward. Which your but don't turn just... off completely. Don't, turn it don't off be completely. the jerk who takes the last roll yeah. on the dinner table. But guys, but keep uh, the good nunchi. So listen, if, if you have a lot of nunchi and you believe you have a lot of nunchi, this intuitiveness, but yet you're so cynical, then it's probably a good thing to, for you to shut it off for a while because it's actually decayed your heart and there's some rotten stuff that's happening in your soul. So you got to turn that thing off as soon as possible so that you can see people in a better light because sometimes people just see them in the worst way, especially if you keep it on too long. So I've seen that happen and I think it's a real sap state for somebody to get to. So anyway, everyone, enjoy your holiday. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Enjoy Happy everything. Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. We will see you and talk to you next week. Take care. Bye.